Good morning, Brother Brent. We good? Yes, sir. All right. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. What a blessing, a privilege to be with you today. Praise the Lord. I want to remember to pray for our pastor. I'm sure he'll be standing to preach and teach here soon. And uh, I know he appreciates our prayers and for the church up there that they'll receive the Word of God. You know, yep. Amen. Yeah, he'll be cranking up for sure then. They're probably worshiping right now the Lord and getting ready to preach. And it's fantastic. Thank you for letting us know. Um, you know, I was thinking about over there in um, oh, Ezra is one example of, of this. But, um, you know, in the Bible, it seems that um, there's a whole lot more uh, emphasis on how you hear the Word of God than how it is spoken. And even throughout history, you know, that you may have heard of... Um, the, um, the, the, t- the sermon that was preached uh, in uh, colonial America in the great revival time, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you remember the sinners in the hand of an angry God? I, I heard that he basically just read his notes. He just read his sermon. He just got up there. He didn't have good eyesight anyway. For, so he just got up and read it. And even while he was reading it, God was moving on the hearts of the people and they were crying out and wanting to be saved and repenting. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot more to be said about how you hear it than how you, you speak it. And so, uh, but I know Brother Roger, he, he needs uh, the, the working of the Holy Spirit in his life and I know those people need it as well in order to receive it. So, let's uh, do a little bit of review here on chapter 41 then we'll get into our lesson today. Uh, first of all, we see there at the beginning of the chapter... Chapter 41, it says, uh, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. And we saw Joseph here still in prison and still waiting on the providence of God and the timing of God. And obviously, and God is preparing Joseph and he's working on him. As we remembered last week is that God is uh, is m- many times waiting on us to develop. But man, we think we're waiting on God to do something, but He's just waiting on us to get ready so He can work through us and use us. Amen? And so uh, it, it, time goes on, and, uh, and of course there's uh, some reasons why Joseph is there, and, uh, and it wasn't that God was sleeping. He didn't just wake up. Uh, but we see over now in verse... Um, we'll start at verse 7. So now Pharaoh is going to have a dream about that. Actually, two dreams, okay? It's appeared to be back-to-back dreams. And uh, so in verse 7, it says, And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Well, that dream is troubling to Pharaoh. And we see in verse 8, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh here is just acting like a lost man. You know, he ain't doing any different than a lost man would do. He's troubled in his spirit. What's he going to do? What do we do? What do do? Well... I better be careful what I say here, but I'm just saying, okay, what do we do when we're troubled in our spirit? Let's ask that. 
Yeah, because it, sometimes it gets a little blurry. You know, you say, what does the child of God do? And it, what does the, the world and the, and the lost man do? And sometimes they kind of look like they meet in the middle. You ever notice that? It's like sometimes what, when we're troubled in our spirit. So now we'd be talking about what we call today a mental illness. He has a mental illness, right? He's depressed. He's got anxiety. He's probably got a lot of anxiety. Uh, he's trying to figure out what this means. So what's he going to do? He's going to go to the educated people. Like we do in our day, right? If we got uh, the average person, the, uh, the, the worldly person, uh, doesn't know God, doesn't walk with God, what are they going to do? They're going to go to the educated person, the doctor, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the, the, the counselor. Uh, maybe they're going to get a life coach. I don't know. Or they're going to at least go somewhere where they can get a motivational speech. You know, Becky, you get a lot of those on Sunday morning these days, right? A lot of motivational speakers on Sunday mornings these days. And, um, but that's what the lost person does. Now, and then the lost people have their, their methods. Drugs are, the, are one of the most common methods. In this day, they had magic. They had magicians. And then they had wise men. And, the, and the, uh, you know, today we have what, what's called in the, in the uh, New Testament, it uses the word pharmakai, which means medicine, but it's also interpreted sorceries in Romans chapter, I mean, Revelation chapter 18, and witchcraft. So my point here is, is that the born-again child of God should not respond the same way that the lost person does when they are troubled in their spirit. You all agree with that? Is that pretty easy for us to understand it? There ought to be something different about us. Where do we go to? Do we jump in the car and drive to the doctor's office? Do we call up, uh, you know, our coach on the phone or whatever? Or do we go to the man of God? Looked in verse 9. So he sent out this order. Nobody can find an answer in verse 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Well, all this stir finally stirred his memory up, and he, oh, wait a minute, a couple of years ago there was this guy, so he tells him in, in uh, verse 10, Pharaoh was wrought with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, and I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. Okay, well now look at verse 12. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. Well, let's look at the contrast here. So you got the wise, educated, magic. They got power. They got all these things going on. They're esteemed highly in society. And then you got this contrast of, look how Joseph is described. He's a young man. Well, I thought the, the old, old guy is supposed to be the ones with wisdom, right? I'm starting to find out that sometimes as you get older, you get more stupid. I don't know. It seems that way. So... I don't think it's, wisdom is limited just to the to the gray hairs. You know, I think it it, it can be acquired because it comes from God and it begins with the fear of God. So I think it can be acquired at any age, and certainly Joseph here had it. But he was a young man, number one. So in the world's eyes, he would be that would be a one strike against him. And then he's a Hebrew. Oh, he's a foreigner. Okay, and he's kind of strange anyway. That's strike two against him. And then he's a servant. Now he's got three strikes, he's out. In a worldly perspective here, Brother Terry, there, he's not going to get the job, is he? Now, yeah, you think about it. Can you imagine? 
All right, we got. We need an interpreter here. Okay, so let's get your resume here, uh, Joseph. Okay, how old are you? I'm thirty, sir. Thirty. He's too young. All right. <laughs> okay. What kind of work experience do you have? Well, uh, I, I served my father in his house, and then I served Potiphar in his house, right, as a slave, and then I served the keeper of the prison. He's like, you've been in prison? <laughs> you know, this is not, this, now we know we moved out of the, the worldly way of thinking. And now God said, not many, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty does God use. And the reason for that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 29, it says that no one shall, no flesh shall glory in God's presence. So ultimately, God's going to knock all that stuff off. He's going to, it's not going to be able to use that unless you're in submission to the Spirit of God. And then people know that it was God. So <clears throat> here's the thing, though. Everything seems like this guy's out until we get to the last part of chapter, tw- uh, verse 12 and verse 13. It says, And he interpreted our dreams to each man according to his dream. Did he interpret in verse 13? And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. You know what? This is why he got the job. Because what he said came to pass. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord has something to say about this. And I want to show you what he said about us today. And how do we choose our men of God? Because the Lord has his way so that you can know. We're in Deuteronomy 18. Look at verse 18. Deuteronomy 18, 18. And the Bible says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, the Lord speaking here, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. This was the charge of the prophet of God. God would call him, God would raise him up, and that he would speak what God said. Now look at verse 19. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That sounds bad, Brother Tucker. You know, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 12, verse 48, where it says that we shall give an account for every idle word. You know what? When God's man says something and we give it no heed, God said, I'll require it of you. You know, that verse over there that's used a lot of times, and and I think it should be, and and rightfully so, but sometimes I think that we don't don't take the correct interpretation of this verse in Isaiah where it said that the Word of God will not go out void, but it will accomplish that which God intends. Sometimes the accomplishment is that you reject it, and this is going to be a clear record right here. And it will accomplish and be used in the judgment of God. And God will say, you remember that day? You see, so it will accomplish. It, it will accomplish what God intends if you'll do it. But if you don't, it will also accomplish it. God will be glorified in His righteous judgment. Okay. And so, verse 20. But the prophet... So you can imagine already, think about it, you're probably saying, okay, how do we know? You can imagine these guys in that day when he wrote this to the Israelites, and they said, okay, we believe you, Lord, we'll listen to the prophet, but how do we know? Well, God's going to tell you. Here's how you know if this is a man of God or not. But the prophet which shall presume to speak 
a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing followeth not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Go back to... Genesis chapter 41. So it looks like the Lord has a way that we can tell if He's a man of God or not. And you know, today, we have a way to tell as well. And it's that book sitting right in front of your hand, right in, right in your lap. God has spoken, and if what He says don't line up with that book, then you don't have to fear Him. Don't worry to Him. Don't give Him any authority or power in your life, because He is not God's man. God's not going to speak in this day contrary to His Word, ever is He going to do that. Amen? And today, you know, I think what is not said is critical. It's not only what's said. Is it possible for a man, is it possible for a man to get up there and preach the Bible and still be self-willed? Even preach the truth out of the Bible. Is it possible for him to preach Something out of the Bible, but it not be God's message to the church for this day. There's where you respect a man of God that will get before God and not just preach what he likes to preach, not just preach his favorite doctrine, okay, but preach what God is saying today. This is why you need a man of God in your life. So when your spirit is troubled, find a man of God. They can take the Word of God and discern what God is saying from it and give you some help. Amen? That's what, Man, I thank God. We were talking uh, this weekend, Rhonda and I were talking about people we used to go to church with that were good people, were seeking the Lord, and then they just go astray. You know, and some of them are out of church, and some of them are kind of in church, and some of them are doing some, their, their families being affected by this. You know, you can see it's different. You know, it's not the same standard. They look like the world. They act like the world. And, um, and thank God some of them are still going on. But I tell you, I had to, th- I had to just think, uh, and I had to thank God that God put us in a place where we could hear the Bible be preached under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So there, Jamie, you remember when we used to sit back there right about where you're sitting. We'd come visit here on Sunday nights because where we were going to church didn't have a Sunday night service. And so we'd come down here. The twins were really small. Uh, they were newborns and they were premature. So Rhonda didn't, we didn't bring them out there for about the first six months or so or more. And, uh, and so Jamie and I would come alone and we would sit in the service and I'd say like, what do you, what do you think about it? And I asked her about it. And she said, every time I go, it seems like God's talking to me. I said, well, that's a good sign. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's good. I mean, seriously. But that only happens when a man seeks out what God's saying and preaches the Bible straight. And then the people, that, he doesn't have to know what their needs are. How could he? Some of them, we, can't even, we don't even know what our needs are. You know? So, this is an important subject here, and so this man Joseph, he got the he he got called by Pharaoh because what he had God had shown him had come to pass. That was the proof that was in the pudding. Does it work? As Brother Roger has said, if what you're doing ain't working, don't export it. 
<laughs> don't export it if it ain't working for you and your family. Amen? If your finances ain't working, then don't teach other people to do it. You know, if your family's not, not getting along, then don't pass that on to other people. Amen? Let's look at verse 14. So after he says, verse 13, so it was. Me he restored into mine office, and him he hanged, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and come in unto Pharaoh. Now, first of all, just the move, I mean, he's still in the dungeon. You know, from where he's as low, from as low as you can go to as high as you can go in record time. In the flash of an eye, I think that is amazing to me. I just, I, I, I marvel at what God can do. You know, it seems like, again, God's doing nothing, and all of a sudden, man, hastily it says, bam, everything changes, and now he's about to come before the king, but look at him prepare himself. He shaved himself, and he changed his clothes. I wonder how we, do we prepare ourselves to come before our king? How would we prepare ourselves? Want to do a little searching, I hope, right? Make sure that we got a right focus and attitude when we come before God and that we want God to search us even. Amen. To make sure that we're prepared and ready to come before the King to receive what He may say or ask of us. And He certainly respects. You can see His respect here that He has. And boy, things are about to change quickly here. As we said last week, it said God is is uh, never late, but he's also rarely early. He is right on time. Look at verse 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Critical point right here. Look at Joseph's answer, verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Well, he didn't take any credit, no glory. He's not trying to promote himself. He said, no, sir, I don't have the answer. But he said, but God does. And God's got the answer for you, Pharaoh. He's going to give it to you. Amen. What a, what a, <clears throat> what a balance here. A balance of humility and confidence. Humility and self, confidence in God. I can't do nothing, but God can do it all. He presents a perfect balance here of the way we should approach things in our life. When we look at it and say, can we do it? No, but God can. Could God use me? He could. Amen? Let's see. God will do it, even through me. So he, he's going to give them the interpretation. He said, God will give it to him. Verse 17, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, and he begins to tell him the dreams. We're not going to read the dreams, but he has two, one about the cows and one about the corn. There's the fat and there's the poor. And uh, the, the poor always consumes the, the, the fat. And, um, and so I see here in verse 25, look over there with me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. He said, this is one dream. He said, God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he repeats this down in verse 28. It says, <clears throat> This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. <clears throat> Isn't it an amazing thing that here we got a Gentile king that all of a sudden has just bumped right into the sovereign will of God? You understand that the will of God, there's different 
types or parts of the will of God, if you will. There's the sovereign will of God, right? You know what that means? It will happen. Is God going to protect the Jew or is God going to protect the Jew? Is anybody going to wipe out the Jew? No. They're never going to cease to exist. Now, they might get dispersed. They've been dispersed before. And they might, they might seem to have gone out of existence, but they haven't. They're still there, and they'll come back. And God has brought them back, and He'll protect them. That's the sovereign, Brother John, the sovereign will of God. Is the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth? Yes, He is. And no man will stop it. Amen? Can't happen. It's sovereign. It's God's will. No man is involved in that. It's going to happen. And then there's the scriptural will of God. In other words, we have the will of God. Many things are revealed within scripture of what God's will is. What is His will toward the lost man? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, right? Said at the end of that verse, but God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the scriptural will of God. Now, will every man come to repentance? No. So the scriptural will of God has a dependent factor, and it is the free will of man. This is what God wants. This is His will, but it won't always happen because God has sovereignly decided to give man a free will. And so man can choose to frustrate the will of God and reject the will of God. But I'll tell you the third part, the special will of God or the specific will of God. This is what everybody always wants to know, especially when I'm up on Wednesday nights with the teenagers. They want to know, who am I supposed to marry? You know, what, what kind of work am I supposed to do? Am I, what kind of education am I supposed to get? They want all these specific things to their life. But the problem is with God, as it should be with other good parents, is that if you're disobeying what you know I've asked you to do, I'm not going to give you more, right? So if I always tell them, if you want to know what God wants on those things, then you start doing everything that God's already revealed in the Bible about His will. And you know what? It'll be easy to know the rest of it. Amen? But we want to get ahead. We want God to give us a specific vision or word or something, you know, so we feel good about it. No, just do what you know. Do Do the scriptural will of God, and God will make known those specific things that He has for you. Now, He's going to begin in verse 29 here to begin to explain this, this, these dreams. Verse 29 says, Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very Grievous. Man, that does not sound good. Clear interpretation here. He tells them, yep, going to be great for seven years. Going to be horrible for seven years. So bad, so you're going to forget all about the good years. It's going to be grievous. And so, verse 32, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly Bring it to pass. So not only is it going to be grievous, but it's established by God. The sovereign will of God is going to happen. Nothing's going to interfere with it. And it's going to come shortly. There are sometimes uh, you don't have time to get a plan together. You understand? This is going to be too late. You're going to miss it. If you hesitate and you wait on perfect opportunities and situations, <coughs> you're going to miss this and it's going to be too late. 
So look at what he says. I love this about Joseph. He doesn't leave it here. Now remember, he was called up for a specific reason. What was the reason? Interpret the dream. He did that. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop just telling the problem. I love this. Don't you love people that actually offer solutions? They don't just go around and keep complaining about the same old problems that we all already know about. They actually offer some realistic solutions. <clears throat> we look at this. Verse 33. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. That sounds like a solution to me. Sounds like also this is bold of Joseph because he is going beyond and offering this solution, but he's not offering himself, but Pharaoh's going to come to that conclusion. But he does give him more than, you need a wise man, but look what he says in verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. So a fifth part, that's 20%, isn't it? Right? So what's his plan? Get you a wise man that can carry out this plan right here, where you take 20% of what's produced during the plenteous seven years. Yes? Pretty good plan. Sounds aggressive. Sounds good. I bet there was a lot of whining and complaining about taking that 20%. What do you want to bet? A lot of whining and complaining goes on all the time anyway, all right? So it's, it's rarely when it's actually done for something uh, <clears throat> that's beneficial because God's doing something here. And look at verse 37. And, it, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. I thought about this, and why was it good? Well, look at, read down a little bit further, and he'll give you the answer. <clears throat> and, the, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this? He says, As this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Well, why was it good to Joseph? I mean, why was it good to Pharaoh? Because he saw the Spirit of God in Joseph. He saw something different. That tells me that the Spirit of God is evident. The Spirit of God working in a man and through a man is evident even to lost men. He said, the Spirit of God is here. He says, how are we going to find anybody else like this? So, they said, man, obviously, this is a good thing to do. This is good. It, it, that's why it was good to him. So, let's think about this for a second. <clears throat> what would the evidence of the Holy Spirit look like? Hold your place here, but let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're getting there, let me ask you, are you interested in having the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or do you just want an experience of the Holy Spirit in your life? Which would you prefer? The experience or the evidence? We'd like to have both. But for sure, we need the evidence. Because here's the thing, the Spirit of God doing something unusual in a man, through a man, with a man, uh, is usually to help other people, to show that he's doing something. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit, okay, does not exalt the man, but exalts the God. Amen. And here's the difference. A lot of times people are looking for an experience because it makes them feel good. 
Okay? And they like that, but God's not working like that. He's interested in working through you so that He can help other people. And that's where we need the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. You're in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is supposed to have control over us, similar to the way alcohol would have control over our minds and our actions if we were in a drunken state. Instead of being drunk, we're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And here's the, here's the evidence, and we're just going to hit this quickly in the next three verses. Here's evidence, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So it sounds like one of the evidences would we would have a song in our heart. And if we had a song in our heart, what might that show about our heart condition that we had? Love, joy for sure, right? And peace. You think about it. So if we had a song in our heart continually, this would be evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now look at the next one. Not only a song in our heart, but it says... Uh, verse 20, uh, verse 20 <clears throat> giving thanks always unto all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it sounds like we would also not only have a song in our heart, but we'd have thanksgiving on our mind. Our focus would be on thanksgiving. And so because of that, we'd be thankful to God for things like, God, you're long-suffering in our, my life. Lord, your gentleness toward me and your goodness to me. And then guess what? If because of those things, we might actually be that way ourselves as God worked through us to other people. Yeah? Right or right? And then the last one, look what it says here. It says in verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we got a song in our heart, we got thanksgiving on our mind, and now we've got a spirit of submission. That spirit of submission would have to be operating by faith. So in other words, if we're going to submit ourselves to somebody else, we're going to have to believe that God's going to work through that. Otherwise, we're not going to let other people have their way. We don't trust them, right? But can we trust God? Submitting yourself one to another. So it's going to require faith, okay, but it's also going to require that I'm going to have to exercise some meekness, meaning that I have power to change things, but I don't. I let God work it out. I'm submissive to other people's wills. And then, lastly, temperance. I don't consume God's blessings upon myself. I don't allow a blessing to become a curse, right? And so we see three things there, but what did we just describe? Yes, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is not seven different fruits. One fruit, like seven grapes hanging in a cluster that always comes together. So is there evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives? If so, it'll resemble what we're talking about right here. Amen? That's how we know. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 41. Y'all still with me? Yes, sir. All right, we'll finish this chapter, Lord willing, today. A couple more important thoughts here that, I wanna, that the Lord has given me in this, in this chapter um, <clears throat> let's look at verse 40. It says, And thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee 
over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestitures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. <coughs> Incredible. He has made the ruler over Egypt. And you know, I was thinking about this too, talking about that the Holy Spirit in our lives. Is that once we have submitted ourselves to God, and we've allowed the Spirit of God now to take control of our life, and now He's in control, God can trust us with every other lesser thing as well. This was no big thing for God to give Joseph rule over Egypt. He already had rule over Joseph. Amen? So it didn't change anything, right? He'd already proven that he could trust him with responsibility in the house, in Potiphar's house, in the prison house, the Spirit of God. He could go through adversity. He could go through prosperity. He could go through a position of authority. And God still had control of him. And if God has control over us, then he can give us whatever he desires and it will not consume us or destroy us. You know, there was a verse in Proverbs, Rhonda and I were reading the other day, where it talks about, you know, when you, when you give more to a, a wise man, okay, well, he increases. But if you give more to a fool, it actually destroys him faster. It just makes it worse. See, money is amoral. It has no morality to it. It, it all depends on how you use it, right? And so an, a wicked man is going to use it to his own destruction, and to do evil. And so, here's Joseph now in charge of all the country of Egypt. Nothing's going to happen there. Nobody's going to do anything that Joseph don't say. He says, I am Pharaoh. Basically he's saying, I'm the king here and I'm putting you in charge and nobody's going to do anything unless you approve of it. Amen? And so, uh, that's incredible. This is a Hebrew, 30-year-old Hebrew man. And I thought about, you know, how people think they want to um, get something, mainly money. You know, people are like, okay, if you, if you had a, what if you had $31 million? How would that affect your life? I don't know. I don't have $31 million, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what, it might not be the effect that you think. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a guy that won the lottery. He bought the ticket right down here in on, on uh, East Martin, I think it was, uh, Road in Porter. Bought the ticket and won $31 million uh, right around the 2000, early 2000s. And um, after that, he, um, he had trouble by the handful. He had a good relationship with his wife and kids previously. He had enough money to do everything he needed. He had a house to live in. He had transportation. He had all the things he needed in life. But when he got this, <coughs> one thing happened, he got paranoid. Now he was afraid of everybody and everything. 
He moved into a gated community in Kingwood, so he, nobody, he tried to protect himself. He was suspicious of everybody. It ended up destroying his family relationship, destroying his, uh, his kids' relationship, and him and his wife ended up with a divorce. And finally, ultimately, he ends up going to his wife's house, getting in their bed where he, they used to sleep, and shooting himself with a shotgun. That's how... We don't know if we're really ready to handle things. We think we are. We, boy, that'd be great, Lord. Give it to me. And the Lord says, son, if I gave you that, that'd be a mess. A woman was sharing with Rhonda another perspective on this. She said that her husband, when they were uh, younger and, and young, early married, her husband had been a pastor. And he was pastor in a small church. They didn't really pay enough to meet their needs, so he started a, a business he was pretty good at, did mainly drywall and painting. Uh, and, uh, and so yeah, his business started taking off and doing better. And finally, he says, you know, I think that I need, if I really gave this more time, we could really blow this business up. And so he did. And then before you know it, he doesn't have enough time to pastor. So he decides, I need to resign the pastor. And I'm, not, I'm not able to do the job there I need to. I need to give my energy over here. After that, he rarely even stepped foot in church again for 35 years. 35 years later, he comes back to the Lord, and she said that was like he was a baby. He was an infant in the Scriptures. He didn't have any understanding. He lost all of his understanding of the ways of God and the, and the Word of God, you know. And we, man, God knows. He protects us from a lot of stuff. Don't step out of the will of God thinking that you're going after something that, you, that uh, God wants you to have. It may be God is protecting you from something. Look at verse 45. We'll finish with these thoughts here. It says in verse 45, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. I'm not even sure if that's even close to right, but I do know what it means. It means the revealer of secret things. So he says, hey, Joseph, we're going to call you the revealer of secret things. And then he gives him a bonus. He gives him a wife. Now think about this for a second. Here's Joseph. Exiled from his brethren. His brethren have rejected him. Here he is now in a foreign land. And the king gives him a Gentile bride. Sound like any other story you've heard of lately? How about the church of God, the Gentile bride of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see the typology of Joseph here being a type of Christ, picking up a Gentile bride in his exile away from his brethren, the Jews who have rejected him, and God gives him the church of God as his bride. Man, I love that. And here's the other thing I love about this for you parents and grandparents and those of you that are praying for a godly spouse for your for your kids. Maybe I think everybody in here is married. Um, or if you're looking for a spouse, let me say this. Joseph didn't go looking for her. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure it was on his radar at all. I mean, he just got out of prison, okay? And uh, now he's the king, he's the ruler, right underneath the king. And and God just drops a wife right on top of him right there. Man, that's an encouragement. You know, you just keep staying in the will of God, trust the timing of God, and all of a sudden when it seems like, you know, uh, it, it, you're getting older and it seems further away, 
And then God just shows up and drops it right on top of you. Don't lose hope. God knows what he's doing. And he will bring it to pass. And he gives him a couple of sons. And Manassas means forgetting. He's forgetting all the bad things that people did to him. And then Ephraim means fruitful. He's made him fruitful in this land. And and I want to say lastly that we see at the end of this chapter, Pharaoh, what happens is, oh, let me just stop here. I'm not going to get to the very end. We'll finish it next week. But I want to go back to, look what, look what it says about Joseph here. We'll finish with this thought. It says, um, uh, I'm looking for the verse. So let's look at verse uh, 46. And Joseph was 30 years old, and he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. So here's Joseph, <clears throat> this amazing rise from the dungeon to the palace. What's the first thing he does? Goes to work. You know, I was thinking about it, really nothing's changed for Joseph. It's the same. He served his daddy, he served Potiphar, he served the keeper of the prison, now he's serving Pharaoh. He's always working. He's always doing the will of God. Whatever his master wants him to do, he's always doing it. So he's like, well, I don't have time to enjoy these new clothes and this fancy ring I've got. He says, i got work to do. Now the responsibility is just much bigger. Now instead of being just a prison or just a house, I've got a whole country that I've got to, I've got to get busy. He doesn't take a vacation. doesn't take a day off. He just gets right to it. He's like, okay, well, finally, I was thinking about Winston Churchill. I think they said this. He said Winston Churchill, after the night they put him in as prime minister over England during World War II, it said he went home that night and he slept like a baby. He said, finally, somebody was in charge and knew what they were doing. <laughs> like, you know, he said for his whole life, God, he felt like he was prepared for that moment. And I think Joseph said, well, okay, now it's time for me to really get busy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the good people you've sent here today, Lord. We pray that, God, it would be profitable to us and help us, Lord. And, Father, we pray you bless our pastor as he preaches the Word of God today and as they get ready to respond to it. May it be by faith and may it glorify you. And, Father, I pray now uh, that, Lord, you just uh, bless the preaching hour. Brother Tucker today, God, may it be pleasing to you in every way. For Christ's sake, in his name, amen.